climbing the ladder. <laughs> Hello, Theo 102. So happy to be with you. We're like in that kind of mid to later part of the semester when it gets mm. a little bit tiring, but you are listening to the Pop Culture Smackdown. You are with the title Radicals and Magisterials. Yes. Now, I notice that there's a lot of religion in public life. Oh, yes. Like certainly. how much is there? Do you think there's a lot, a medium amount, or a little bit? <laughs> well, I am a historian of of Christianity in the US and religion in the US. And so I will tell you that from my perspective, mm-hmm. there is 11 out of 10. 11 out of 10 religion. <laughs> religion. Like what were the, what were the, I, this is a slight digression, but I think okay. we can be quick. Like what the heck were the Puritans doing? Were they, they came to America and they were like, we're going to make God's world. Yeah. Like that's super religious and political at the same time, right? 1000%. In fact, um, now students, you know that the, Puritans were very shaped by the work of John Calvin in Geneva. They spent a lot of time in Calvin's Geneva, which was essentially like an effort to make a Christian society, like Christian laws, Christian um, law enforcement, Mm -hmm. Christian everything. Mm -hmm. And so they took those sensibilities and came to what is now the U.S. And they, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the Puritans. A lot of people thought that they came to practice religious freedom, which is not true. That that rhetoric didn't really exist in the Puritans era. They came to practice right religion, which is why they ended up kicking a lot of people out and doing <laughs> the witch trials and stuff like that. But they, they wanted to do it right. They wanted to do it according to the Bible. And so there's a great book about Puritans called To Live Ancient Lives. They thought that they were living the New Testament by creating this whole society wherein the principles of the Bible and church leaders ran things. We, I got to read that book. It's a good I book. I want to read it's more short. about the Puritans. I'm reading right it's now really the good. Pulitzer Prize winning account of the colonial period in, Amer- in America. I forgot what it's called, but it's like this big, like it's just a history book. And I love I lo- that I love stuff. the parts about the Puritans because it's like- They're fascinating people. so fascinating to think about like what it would be like to yoke together your public life, what we would call now, I guess, in our modern terms, your public life, your your civic life with your spiritual life, yes. like in that way. You also notice things too, like um, say there's a, a swearing in of a president. Like they, yes. they, they still, even in our like secular world, no matter whether it's Republican or Democrat, whoever it is. They tend to have a Bible up there. They tend to have a Bible. They're still doing the Bible. Do you think, I mean, is it is it just like, is it just for show? Are they really swearing on the Bible? Like what are they doing? Well, I mean, I think a lot of people argue that they are using it. Now, not all presidents. I think Teddy Roosevelt maybe didn't use a, Teddy. but um. Uh, not, but the vast majority of them do swear on Bibles, and usually that Bible has special meaning to the president who's oh. signing in. Like, if if you all um, watched the inauguration of of Joe Biden, he had a big, huge, thick Bible because he was using a Catholic Bible, which includes the Apocrypha mm-hmm. that students learned about oh, last semester. And then um, I know that President Obama used, I, th- I believe it was Martin Luther King Jr.'s mm-hmm. Bible. So the Bibles tend to have they're like a hat tip to some part of the president's mm-hmm. identity, religious identity that they want to yes. nod to, but they're also supposed to be a symbol of unity. Well, and thus, and thus we have our artifact for the week. Yes. Just the image of President Biden with his Catholic, his Catholic Bible, Bible. His particularly family Catholic Bible. Um, even just the image itself, just seeing it conjures up all of the, the issue around this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, so the issue at stake in this in this section we're now on reform, 
really lends itself pretty well to talking about this. Yes. Should the church and the state be yoked together? Allah, our magisterial reformers. Yes. They were the ones where like the magistrate, the whatever, like, yes. you know, we need them to enforce our rules. Cause like we have rules for how things are going to be, of course, <laughs> and they should enforce it. Or should the model be more like, I think what are often referred to as radical reformers, like Quakers, for example, mm-hmm. where you're like no intrusion, like you don't have to enforce our things, but we're not going to do your things. I guess mm-hmm. my question is like, what is the relationship then between the radical reformers and the state? Do you just like live in it like aliens and sojourners on the earth? Well, like- it doesn't, I'll just say this, it, especially if, if the dissenting group or the radical group is small, it doesn't usually end up going well for them. Like um, Because so they're just, they're too small within this bigger thing that's just gonna swallow them well, up. Well, yeah, the Puritans were per- a persecuted religious minority in their day mm-hmm. and the, Quakers were too. And um, in fact, you know, some of them were imprisoned. I mean, this was- Quakers were even executed mm -hmm. in in, in Boston Common. Like It was a dangerous thing to be a dissenter. Um, There's a famous woman who dissented from the um, Puritans, a woman named Anne Hutchinson, who Mm -hmm. was tossed out of um, the Puritan community. And in her lifetime, just to be banished from the community was like a death sentence because it was so hard in in what's now the U S. So, um, yeah, it usually doesn't go super well for that crew in terms of if going well for you means keeping your life and comfort and status in society, (laughs) right? But But they're radicals. They're radical, man. You're not radical for nothing. Yeah. They believe that that's the right thing to do. Yeah. And if you think it's right, I mean, to be persecuted is almost like all the better. It shows the legitimacy. And so back to like perpetual and felicitous, right? right? But there's a point here, which is like to be a radical reformer might mean that you, you run afoul of the state in ways that are even like, it's hard. It could be a very hard life, but it could be right. It could be the right thing to do. Even just because it's hard doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. So this is difficult. Now, this debate about, and we got to have, I guess, the yay and the nay, or as yes. you wrote it on the Google Doc, the yeah and the nay. <laughs> I meant to do yay. The yeah and the nay. It's been a long week. I like that. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I, and actually, Dr. Payne was going to change it, but I was like, no, it has to stay. I love <laughs> the yeah, yeah and yeah the nay. Yeah. So the yeah is like, it's pro-magisterial reformer. Like yeah. church and state. What, what what does that even mean? We're going to create a godly society. Godly society. And the nay is the radical reformer position, mm-hmm. which is like, look, this is a totally different relationship that has nothing to do with our secular notions of power and so on. Yep. So these, these are two, <laughs> now <laughs> this so is excited. a, this is a throwback friends. This is a throwback. And even perhaps for, you know, overlapping a material perilously close to a debate we had last semester in Theo 101 on the, mm-hmm. remember that one called public 10 commandments. Mm-hmm. Remember mm-hmm. those days, oh, oh, students, when you were a freshman in your fr- fall semester, oh, if yes. that's how you're experiencing this class, I don't know. but you, <laughs> you know, like, so young. Then. You were so young. Think how much has changed. Think how much you've grown. Okay. Just reflect on that right now. Reflect. Okay. Yes. No more reflection. We're, so we're doing like a, we're doing like a new Vista on that debate, yep. a yep. new tableau. We're relitigating it. A new frame, a relitigation in yeah. light of what we now know and who we now are, which is different. Mm-hmm. And we're now, mm-hmm. we're now in a, a time in church history where this is like really getting real for people. Oh yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to choose one way or another. So. You got to choose and which is why I'm now going to yes. musical cue. Oh yeah. That's right. Okay, ready? I'm going to flip the coin. Yes. Okay. Go for it. I'm going to call heads. You are wrong. Ah. It is tailsies. Okay. Which is what I'm going to call tails from now on. Tailsies. (laughs) Headsies are tailsies. Great. Great. (laughs) Okay, I choose the yeah. Okay. I choose the yeah. Okay, then I'm going to choose the proper nay. You choose proper nay. nay, And I'm going with a West Coast, yeah. Okay. Yeah, bruh. 
and you're going with an A. Okay, so I'm going to set the timer for three minutes. Okay. Go. All right, I'm going to time myself too because I need to have my independent sense of my time. Okay, I'm losing time. <laughs> Look, if something is, this is my philosophical prologue to this. Okay. If something is right and true and and holy and good, mm -hmm. then it's right and true and holy and good. Always okay. and everywhere. Okay. So Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. And this part is crucial. On earth, we don't have the option to do God's kingdom work on earth. Like, hey, I'm a private Christian and I hope I can do God's work on earth. It's our command. It's our responsibility. It's Jesus' actual prayer, his model prayer. So this is a totalizing thing. We should resist the views of um, modernist and enlightenment thinkers who became very popular for certain kinds of views like Immanuel Kant and Spinoza. And their views were like, look, religion is fine, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't like basically encroach into other areas of your life. Like religion is like a separate thing. It's private. There's no interference in philosophy or ethics or government. And they did this for, you know, uh, reasons of their own, but, but for political reasons, you want to keep that source of authority out of your business. But Jesus has no such command. When you pledge your life to Christ, you're not you're not pledging your private thoughts and your prayer life to Christ. Hidden, or even this language of accepting Jesus in your heart. It's like, go in my heart, little Jesus. Okay, you stay in there. No, Jesus is going to be in your heart, but he's going to burst into your life. You're pledging to do God's work. So do it. You got to run for office. You got to institute Christian principles in your county, city, state, and nation. It won't be easy, but it will be awesome, and you will be doing the right thing. Um what if we ran, I mean, just think like, what if we ran the UN, the United Nations on truly Christian principles? I mean, do you not want to live in a country ruled by God himself? If God doesn't rule it, someone else will. If you are not God's agent and, and God, if you're not God's representative on earth to create that city on a hill, to use the Puritan phrase uh, and the biblical phrase, someone else will create a different city with some other representative. And let's just like leave that open. Who else that could be? Okay. So, like in other words, the devil. That's that's what I'm implying. Okay, <laughs> just subtle, to spell subtle, that, subtle. just to spell that out. Very subtle. So the idea that church and state would be kept apart, I think, it relies on a failed modernist notion of, of just like how the world and people actually work. It's it's a statement. This this thing like separation of church and state, separation of church and state. It's about a desired separability as a power move between church and state. It's not about how life is actually lived or how God wants us to live it. It's trying to impose a structure upon something that, that God wants us to experience as whole. The fact is we seek integration. We seek to be one. And the magisterial reformers like Luther and Calvin and Zwingli, they understood this. You know, Calvin, he was trying to, in Geneva, he was trying to like create a whole society there, you know? Um, and he had a thing going, the Puritans doing the same thing. Um, it doesn't mean that it's done perfectly. I can already see that that's going to be a criticism is like, oh, look at all the corruption and the problems. Yeah, we know if you do something hard and awesome, it's going to have problems. But, you know, these magisterial reformers understood um, the fact that we can't keep church and state apart. And they were faithful to their thick and rich and confusing political contexts. Um, they, they were faithful to that and they didn't try to deny it. All right. Three minutes. I heard the alarm going off. I just plowed through it. I plowed through now. the alarm. All right. <laughs> and your three minutes okay. begins literally immediately go. All right. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says that he will build his church on Peter, this person, on, on a rock. Um, it's a play on words because Peter's name means rock. And Jesus says, I'm going to build my church mm -hmm. on you, Peter, a person of not very much political 
or social clout or power. He could have chosen a lot of other people to build his church on. He could have chosen zealots who were basically Jewish radicals who wanted to create a rebel state from the Roman imperial powers, or he could have chosen sympathetic Roman officials. We know that those actually existed in the ancient world to eke out a little place for his own kingdom, but he didn't. He built it on someone who didn't actually have access to those principalities and powers. And I want to argue, students, that we should resist engaging with the powers of this world. Christianity thrives when it is, like its founding God-man, on the move. Mm. Tying Christianity to earthly powers, the principalities and powers of this world, is a mistake because it transforms this transcendent work of God to infuse humanity with the divine life of God into a bureaucratic, this-worldly enterprise that involves earthly power and money and often terrible, heinous sins. It is especially important that the church and state remain entirely separate in our cultural context because we live in the wealthiest, most capitalistic society where money and the love of it is common. And Jesus tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. Mm. So tying the life and work of the church, which is to save people who would otherwise go to hell by introducing them to the fountain of salvation and life of God, Jesus Christ, That is a mistake. If we say that we are a Christian society, how do we reconcile ourselves to the fact that the the government, this government, has committed so many sins in the name of the U.S. government? Mm. Wars, Mm. plagues, Mm. internment camps, persecuting religious and ethnic minorities, Uh. wrongful imprisonments, Uh. wrongful deaths, abortion, slavery, right? Those are all terrible, heinous rebellions against God, sins. So that's the wisdom in the radical tradition. People like the Quakers who were not otherworldly, they actually worked, they were very socially active, Mm. but they knew, they understood the temptations of political power and they resisted that. So characterizing this crew as not being involved in the affairs of this world is actually a mischaracterization. They cared, they just understood like the ring in the Lord of the Rings, that the ring of power was a terrible temptation that would corrupt anyone oh. who grabbed onto it. Calvin put people to death oh. for what he thought were bad beliefs. Luther made a lot of mistakes too. Anyway, I, I'm I, more I forgiving. my case. I'm more forgiving of you with time. You still had five <laughs> seconds on my Oh, timer. I did. Okay, I five timed seconds. myself. Five seconds. Martin Luther and John Calvin are examples of people who built Christian societies that could actually harm and kill mass amounts of people. So mm. we should learn from their example and resist the end. I loved how in both arguments, subtleties reigned at points. Like I said, basically, <laughs> Satan will rule Earth if we don't. And you said that wars, plagues, and internment camps and Earth. slavery will rule Earth. <laughs> you got you to gotta bring the big guns. You got to bring it out. Make no, this and we know. We know, students. We know this is what you want. <laughs> we know you want the, the, the tension ratcheted up to 12 out of 10. We went for it. And we know it because we. this is not our first rodeo, as they say. That's what we like, too. I think it's fun. I well, think it's that's fun. right. I like if it's done in a certain way among, yes, among yes. friends and with certain boundaries, which yes. we have. Okay. Um, I really like um, I w- when you brought up the point about money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's, it's true. Like there's this deeply uncomfortable thing where it's like, how do you know where the world starts and the church ends Mm. in this integration of church and state, the, where the state starts and the church ends. If you lose that, you lose any sense of what idolatry is. And so Mm -hmm. I would have even, yeah, I think that point could be even like, you could, you, you could run with it on this idolatry point. 
I thought what, I mean, in response to, to your argument, I thought that what you made a really, really good point, which is right out of the Lord's prayer, mm-hmm. that God's kingdom is supposed to be established on earth. And if we are the body of Christ, mm-hmm. who else is supposed to do it but us? So I think that's right. a pretty strong argument right. for really any kind of involvement in right. the public sphere, but especially like political involvement. Wouldn't the counter argument though be to the Lord's prayer that yes, thy kingdom, but Jesus' kingdom is in fact a different kind of right. kingdom. Right, right. Isn't that the whole I point know. is that it's not that kind of kingdom. If it was, as you said, Jesus could have chosen other representatives of his cause, like people who were into like, you know, the kind of things that kingdoms of this earth are into, like violence and whatnot. Well, you know, and we're debating this now, but we, this is a longstanding point of tension for, for Christians because if, if becoming a Christian is just saying like, I, all of me now belongs to God, and in fact, not just all of me, but the whole world belongs to God, mm-hmm. then it sort of encompasses that. And I think about, you know, as soon as Christians gained public acceptance and mm-hmm. political enfranchisement in the Roman empire, this mm-hmm. became a, a huge crisis for them right? because they weren't sure what to do. Like right. uh, it's adjust- genuinely perplexing. It really is. It really is perplexing. Um, I know we've, we've debated, we've noted things that the other person thought was a good point. I'd like to hear your real perspective. Well, okay. Like right now yeah. we're, we're going straight. Oh to yeah. It. Wait, wait, I got to give you a little piano intro. Okay. I feel so ready to say things when the piano comes <laughs> No, I know. It's something. People should try that in their daily life. Just sort of like Give have yourself that. a soundtrack. I love those kind of, I love that kind of preaching that I've yeah. not seen very often yeah. where somebody will be like on the keys while someone's speaking oh, yeah, and they're like that. accentuating the yeah, stuff. Yeah, I love that too. It's so dramatic. It yeah. can even be funny. Like, I wish I had like an organ sound because we could oh, really yeah. go nuts. I bet we could find an organ yeah. sound. Stay tuned. Um, you know, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have an unusual perspective on this one, one that I've never a, a type of, of of personal opinion on this that I've never had in any of the Smackdowns before. Wonderful. I feel deeply confused by this question. Mm. I literally don't know what's right. Wow. I and 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 that that's not to say, dear friends, that I don't have like views or that I I'm not striving to follow Jesus in this area of my life. I am. I'm just admitting, bald face, like. Uh, I just don't know. Like when, when I realize like what the Puritans tried to do or what the magisterial reformers tried to do, I'm like, yeah, of course. And this is one thing that I think was bad about the argument that you made. Like, oh, you can't tie the life and work of the church to money and da da da. It's a mistake. Well, of course, but you have to. Like, we can't live in a fake world. We're living in history. And that's God must have sent us into that. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, mm-hmm. just maybe because of my person, I mean, none of us likes lies and manipulation and idolatry. And my own personality type, I, I trend very much toward purity and I'm a bad liar and I don't like lies. And I feel like, <laughs> I, I feel don't know like if you've ever, I've ever heard, seen you even try. Oh, so I, I feel like idolatry is like the ultimate lie. Mm. Like I don't want to ever be involved in that. And I just see there are so many opportunities for idolatry when you start mixing church and state that it is so putridly grotesque. And I don't know how to reconcile that with the idea that it clearly has to be like that. Yeah. So I feel, yeah. I, I feel deeply confused and I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed of that, but it's 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 at least an honest response. I I appreciate that so much um, because I I think I actually uh, feel the exact same way. Maybe for different <laughs> reasons. Well, I think it's just because the older I get, the more I'm like, well, I, the more complexity I see in life, sure. you know. And so I think that um, so one of the points that you made that I thought um, was you know if I were to to pick a weaker point, it was the idea of like founding things on Christian principles. Cause then it's like, well, 
what are Christian principles and how do you, right. you know, determine what that is, which really basically brings back to the point that you just made, which is it, it, I don't think, uh, I often think about the passage in first Corinthians where it talks about how we see through a glass dimly or darkly, depending on the, um, translation, but someday we'll see even as we are, like someday we'll know as we are known. So it's like, there's a part of the Christian life. And I think especially as it relates to like, what is the Christian duty in Mm -hmm. this world Mm -hmm. that remains a mystery? Because every time I think like, oh no, we should, I mean, I like the hardlining radical uh, Mm -hmm. position. I like it. It sounds great. But when I think about the world as it is, Mm -hmm. I think, well, what if you're born as you and I both were into relative power and, and, um, a tremendous amount of upward mobility. Mm -hmm. Don't we have a responsibility to steward that for the benefit of others? You know, so then it, it, I like the radical argument, but I'm not sure it's really possible or mm-hmm. I don't even know if it's right in every scenario. Well, that's, that's been, <clears throat> I love like Quaker spirituality and my, my wife and family and I attended a Quaker church for six years. Indeed, our youngest daughter was born in a Quaker church, mm. but it's like my one beef with like friends, Quaker theology that I just don't understand is it seems to require that you live an impossible life. And I feel like God, <laughs> right? God is not asking us to live an impossible life. I'm sure like Quakers who have been Quakers for a long time would say, no, it's not impossible or it is, but that's beautiful or something. Right. Right. So it's, I'm not, I'm not saying that my criticism like stands. I'm just saying that's how I feel when I, when I consider it. Yeah. I think the, th- the thing is, is that this is one of the hardest parts about the Christian life. And if we were teaching like a high school level version of this class, we might not even tackle something mm. like this in this kind of complexity, but you students are for real adults who are going to be making Mm. like big decisions. And I think that this is probably one of the most significant Christian questions for our age. Totally. And you might not be shocked, oh, students, to to find that this issue rears its head in your own actual life. For sure. And if you don't think about it and pray about it now, it's going to catch you by surprise and you won't have the resources that you need to deal with it. Well, we look forward to hearing your thoughts this week. I will.